And it is, uh, so it's Family Sunday, which means all the kids are in here, uh, which I was told that means this better be good. Um, actually, uh, uh, I, I really do encourage uh, our kids get more than we think. They pick up on more things. They understand more than we actually sometimes realize that they do. And so all of you kids in here today, uh, I will expect to have a full report after this message as to what you got out of it, like what the point was, as well as, uh, yeah, maybe something you learned and are going to teach your parents when you get home. And then, uh, and then uh, if you do, if you do uh, understand like my message and you bring that to me after the service, I'm told there could be candy bars next week. I don't know. Just saying. All right. All right. <laughs> what size of candy bars? And so, and so it begins. And, and here's a young man bold enough to ask. All of you were thinking it. All of you were thinking it. All right, I appreciate the boldness. For you, it's going to be big. All right. All right. <laughs> and so today we're talking about prayer. So um, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Thessalonians. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, another prayer. We've been going through, if you're brand new here today, we've been going through a series on prayer, learning to pray. And one of the ways we learn to pray is simply by looking at the prayers in Scripture and we learn from them. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, we've been going through his prayers and uh, has some of the richest kind of uh, just practical, real-life kind of prayers that help guide our language and how we pray. And so uh, Pastor Nick has been going through these different prayers of Paul. And one of them he went through was in 1 Thessalonians. And so today we're going to be looking at one in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And the two verses we're going to look at is just 11 and 12, but uh, I'm going to read actually from 3 down, just because uh, that's going to be our context really for this, uh, this prayer, um, and then we'll look a little bit even at the broader context um, before we start. But today we're going to find out that prayer, uh, like my title says, we can often sometimes in fact say to people like, hey, I'm going to pray for you, or uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to spend time in prayer each day, but what does that really mean? Um, it, prayer is not something that we passively do. Right? It's something that we actively do as we pursue God, as we pursue Christ in prayer. Uh, it is something that actually calls us to take action. As one person said, we pray and then we get up off of our knees and we, and we act. Right? It calls us into action. It's not a thing where we just say, I'm going to pray and just see what God's going to do and just sort of sit back. But it's actually an action, something that calls us to take action. And so, so, so today we're going to learn that in a way that that we need to pray continuously that God would be glorified in everything that we do, every single aspect of our lives. And in fact, um, I think, uh, as, we've, as we see in all of Paul's prayers, he has this sense that we saw several weeks ago when Pastor Nick talked about praying without ceasing, that passage that Paul uses, pray without ceasing, and you think, and, and, or, but in every single prayer so far, there's a, there's a phrase just like that. In ours today, too, it says he prays always. So he's always praying these things. And we've talked about, and Pastor Nick has talked about, like, what does that mean to pray without ceasing? But let, let me put it in this way, in the way I wrestle with it in my own life, is that it's one thing to be a person who has a prayer life, right? That you can have a prayer life, meaning, and there's nothing, this is good, meaning that you have a time set aside in your day or in your week where you specifically focus on praying for people. Maybe you have a list, maybe you have some way of doing that, maybe you take a walk, but it's specific time where you actually focus fully on praying, all right? And that's great. 
And you should have those times. It's good to just get alone with God and spend time in conversation about a lot of things, including people in your life that you're praying for. But that's, that's one aspect. It's different, though, to have a prayerful life. To have a prayer life is one aspect of our prayer, but to have a prayerful life means that your whole life is a prayer. Because prayer, prayer is living or is a, is a means of displaying the fact that I need Jesus all the time. The reason, only reasons you pray is because to simply pray means you're already acknowledging that you don't have all that you need. You need something way bigger than yourself. You need God, right? It's an acknowledgement of faith, really. When you pray, you're acknowledging that you need God. And so to have a prayerful life means that this is how your day is. You're throughout your whole day, you're living a life in fellowship with God. You're talking to Him. You're having conversations. When you're driving to work and you know you have that big talk you're going to have with your boss or that employee or the challenge, and you're saying, God, give me strength, give me wisdom, God, help me. Or you're standing in that moment where you don't know what to say or you don't know what to do, and, and in your mind you're saying, God, please help me. It's a life that's just lived in constant dependence upon God. That's, that's a prayerful life. And so... Um, if your only prayer time in your life is simply a few minutes of a day set aside, I would challenge you today to actually have a prayerful life. And I think this prayer calls us into that kind of life with Jesus. That life, every aspect, would be lived in prayerful dependence upon God at every level of your life. So that's my hope um, today. I'm going to read this passage, and then I'm going to give you some real stuff to pray for. Uh, today, and then, then we're going to dive in to this text. So let's stand this morning, and uh, as, we, as we read God's Word, we stand because it's a way of just simply acknowledging that this is God's Word to us. It's His authoritative Word that He, he desires to instruct and teach and encourage our hearts today. So let's read First Thess- 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, As is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also are suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in the flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day, to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to take a moment to pray this morning, and I just want to encourage you as we pray to um, a couple things that you can pray for. Uh, So tonight, um, 
in the city of Tumwater at the football stadium. Uh, many of you have heard, and so some of you asked me this morning, so uh, there is a vigil, prayer vigil, for the family of five that was lost in the fire last week, last Saturday. And so that's, that's an item that uh, I just want to encourage you to be in prayer for. Uh, there's a lot of hard things uh, with, with not only that family, but extended and just a lot of, uh, lot of hurts. Uh, you have children who've lost a friend. You have teachers who've lost a student. Uh, you have neighbors, you have friends um, that have lost their friends, and so um, so please be praying for that tonight. Uh, it's it's a it's a pretty big deal um, to just comfort that God would comfort them and that the gospel would come and be real. We just sang about some stuff that becomes really real in the face of of real suffering and hurt and pain, as many of you know. Um, and so pray for that. There's also just been a lot of. We've had a lot of uh, very difficult deaths in our community that you might not, you wouldn't be aware of, but there's, a, uh, since Thanksgiving in our community, we've had uh, seven uh, suicide deaths in our, our community right here, and we did one of those funerals yesterday, and, uh, and so just be praying. I know that feels heavy, but we're the people of God, right? We are the ones who should be stepping in and should be praying and caring for our neighbors and our friends. And, uh, and so just be praying for what God uh, would do to, to bring comfort, to bring healing, to bring hope. And I can tell you already, um, there, there are incredible things happening um, as a result of these things. That, that man, God is at work. Uh, yesterday's funeral, um, God just, it was just some amazing ways that God showed up uh, with this family to bring comfort and hope and healing and so, uh, so just be in prayer for those things, and there's lots of others, but I think that's, uh, that will suffice today. So let's just turn to the Lord. I'm just going to let it be quiet a minute, and maybe just in the quietness of your heart, just pray for this community and pray that we, God's people, would be a light uh, to those around us. Let's pray. Father, this may in fact be the most quiet <laughs> our lives have been in weeks, but we thank you that we can quiet our hearts before you, God, and that we can experience the, the miracle of miracles, that you, the creator of the universe, actually hears our prayers, and that you answer our prayers, that you, you, don't, you don't just do things, but God, you desire, and you, you desire to do those things through our prayer. Through our efforts, God, you work in the lives of our neighbors and friends and our community. And so, God, we just pray that even, even as you think about that thought, that there are people right now who are being comforted through the prayers that we just prayed for them. There are ways that you are working because you have ordained that you would work through the prayers of your people. And so, God, let us not take lightly this simple moment 
of just quieting our hearts and being still before you in prayer for people who are suffering significant loss and going through incredible hardships and grief. Lord, let us, let us be continually mindful, even of the things that we are unaware of today, even in our midst, God, but let us continually be in prayer constantly for one another and for our community, for our city, for our state, for our country, and for this world, that people would know the, the true peace that comes from Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. I think it's crucial to think about these types of things as we're considering uh, another aspect of prayer that Paul gives today, because this prayer in particular is also being prayed, uh, Paul is praying for and talking about a people who are going through hardships. Uh, I want to just take a moment this morning and kind of pan out for a minute, because it's hard, to, it's hard to talk about why this little prayer is so important without kind of panning out to see uh, the, the bigger context of, of why Thessalonian church even exists in the first place. And so if, if you were to back up, we're not going to go there, but in, in Acts chapter 17, you see in verses 1 to 9, you'll see the, the birth of this church. And this church was birthed uh, right, right before uh, that chapter. In chapter 16 was the Philippian church. In the Philippian church, Paul was thrown in jail in Philippi. And while in jail, sings a bunch of songs, uh, and through his prayers and their singing in the middle of the night, God shows up in some crazy way and busts the doors of the jail open, and, and the, the Philippian jailer nearly takes his own life, and Paul stops him, and he, he shares the gospel with him and his whole household, and it says they all come to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the Philippian church was born out of just the craziest of stories, right? The craziest of things happened, and God just worked in this crazy way. So Paul gets out of jail and goes and eats at the Philippian jailer's house, and they all become Christians, and then he, then he travels on, right? Uh, that's not the end of it. Most of us, that'd be a career right there. We'd be done. All right, I'll go retire now. Uh, something really amazing just happened, and we got the church going. Let's, whew, let's call, it, call it good. Paul just gets up, goes to the next town over, Thessalonica, and he proclaims the gospel, and in proclaiming the gospel there, on three Sabbaths, it says, he goes to the synagogue, he proclaims the gospel, and it describes in Acts 17 that these people, all different types of walks of life, they come to trust in Jesus, and this little church is formed. And it says immediately at that moment, while this little church is formed, these brand new Christians who are just barely, they, Paul has just taught them the gospel, and he's obviously given them enough that we can see from these, chap, these letters, He's given them sort of this big overview of the Bible. And then persecution hits. These Jewish uh, people in the city, uh, who I always like to joke, they, just, they have nothing else to do with their lives except follow Paul from town to town and create chaos. And kind of like online now, you know, people have nothing else on their hands to do but just create chaos, right? And so that, that's what they're doing. So they create problems for Paul in Thessalonica. Persecution breaks out. Paul sneaks away because they're going to try to kill him. And, but here's this little brand new church. These are three-week-old Christians, potentially. Uh, and they are immediately thrust in. Jason, the leader of the house that they met in, it says he was brought out into the city, into the, the street, and uh, threatened to be flogged for his faith. So, so 
right, right from the start, here's a test. Are you really a Christian or not? Like, like, is this gospel thing real in Jason and the people in his house, or is it not? Because you're going you're gonna to have to choose to either suffer for it or not. Like, this is what's going on. This is actually ironic. I mean, this is really, we talk about India and Project 92. This is the way it is in many places, right? That's exactly the way it is there. And so their faith is, it, it, is immediately tested, big time. And so Paul, if you remember the, the history of Thessalonians, the reason why these letters were written in the first place is because Paul can't sleep at night. He's over in, in, in uh, I believe he went to Berea after that or Corinth, I can't remember. Let me remember my Acts uh, line of history here. But he, he goes to the next town, right? And he cannot minister there because his anxiety, I call it the pastoral anxiety, is so great because he's not sure what's happening in Thessalonica. Are these Christians that he just shared the gospel with, and now they became Christians, and now they are suffering immediately, and Paul's wondering, are they remaining true to the gospel? Did he speak the gospel in vain? I think every pastor at some point has that question. Am I just, am I just speaking these words in vain? Is it really changing people's lives? Does it really matter? Is it sticking? And th- these, are, these are the pastoral anxieties, and this is what Paul's going through. He's struggling, and he can't, he can't take it. He can't even focus on what God's doing right in front of him in the next city. And so in light of his anxiety, he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica, and, in, and Timothy finds out, hey, they are, they are doing good. Like, they're not good because they're suffering but they're doing good because they are remaining true to the gospel. They are, they are enduring persecution and hardship. And so Paul then writes these two letters to Thessalonians. So there's the history, right? There's the big, the big context, right? So this church has faced a lot of hardships, and it's just a fledgling, brand-new group of people. And so Paul writes First Thessalonians, in a sense, to rejoice and just go, praise God, these people are doing okay. They're, they're enduring hardship, but they are doing okay. They're, they're bound together. They are enduring it together, and they're remaining true to the gospel. And so, so Paul then writes these letters in order to just encourage them and bless them. And so we saw in the first message on the first prayer, we saw the first, uh, uh, first Thessalonians. Today we're looking at second Thessalonians. And basically, when he writes these letters, he has three things. He wants to finish the teaching that he started with them. Because he didn't have very long. So he says he wants to like, he calls it filling up where they lack. So they had an understanding of the gospel, but it's like, a, it's like they got a crash course, right? And so Paul's like, I, I want to write some letters just to fill in some gaps for them, right? And, then, and secondly, he writes these letters to encourage them in light of all their suffering. So just to encourage them, like to remain true. And then he has to clear up a bunch of misconceptions about his ministry and also about some doctrinal truths. And that's what these, these letters have in them. They have all three of those aspects. And so there were some things, because he taught them so fast, that they were misunderstanding, uh, including about the coming of Jesus. They thought he'd already come uh, in Second Thessalonians. And so there was all kinds of stuff he had to clear up about that. And that's why he writes these letters. So that's the big context. But now let's look at the immediate context, which is really cool, because the immediate context is an answer to prayer. Uh, ironically, uh, when Pastor Nick preached on in 1 Thessalonians, the prayer there, where he prayed that their love, you remember that, their love would increase more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. He prayed for this in 1 Thessalonians, and the context of this prayer now in 2 Thessalonians is he begins it in verse 3 with a, with a thanksgiving, right? He's, he's giving thanks. And why is he giving thanks? Because, look at what it says in verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, in light, or in, as is right. He says, because your faith is growing abundantly, 
This is what he was praying for, right? And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So he prayed this in 1 Thessalonians. Now he's writing to report that I keep hearing testimonies that your love, in fact, is increasing. You are becoming even more loving, and your faith is growing abundantly, right? So he's beginning this with simple thanksgiving, right? We have to remember even in light of things that we are praying as we prayed for just a moment ago, in light of difficult things, we have to always be looking at how God is working and be giving thanks for the good things that he's doing, even when things look dark, right? It's easy to focus on the darkness and forget that our God is not absent in the darkness. He is right in the darkness, and he is doing things in the darkness if we would just see it. Right? And so this is what Paul's doing. He's telling us this church has been suffering and going through difficulties. I see your faith is growing in answer to prayer and your love is increasing in answer to prayer. And in fact, Paul says we boast about you everywhere we go. Man, everywhere we go, we are telling people about you. You guys are rocking. Man, you guys are, your, your love for one another is blowing our minds and we just let people know. Man, you would not believe how these Thessalonian brothers and sisters, how they love one another. This is what he's doing. He's telling all the churches of God about their steadfastness in the faith. So, so that's the first thing. He is in the, in the immediate context of our prayer. We're going to get to it in just a moment. The second thing is, Paul is reminding them that we live in the now and the not yet. You see, in the midst of difficulties and darkness, Paul's, Paul wants to point them to hope, right? This is, what, this is what all of us need deeply. We need hope. We need to be able to see beyond what's right in front of us. And when you're going through difficulties, that is a very difficult thing to do. It's easy just to get caught up in this, the difficult suffering and trials that are just happening right here, and we forget about the hope that we have. And so Paul, in, in leading up to this prayer, he's saying, there's a, there's a not yet that's coming one day. There's a, there's a day coming when all these wrongs that you see are going to be made right. All the injustices that are being suffered, God is going to come, and he is going to give relief, and he's going to correct all these wrongs. So that desire in every one of us for justice, for, for what is right, we don't always get to experience or taste the reality of it in our present world because we live in the now, and the now is filled with difficulties and suffering and death and hardships and financial problems and relationship problems. This is the now. But Paul's just backing up and saying, but just remember, just remember, Thessalonians, just remember, Timberline, there is a day coming when God is going to come and he's going to make everything right. And it will never be wrong again. He's going to correct it. And, and he's saying to them, and for you who are suffering afflictions now because of your faith, he's saying, he's saying, just remember that God is going to, when he comes, he's going to grant relief to you. Not just any kind of relief. That seems like a simple thing, right? Like, you know, if you're a little broke, you're going to get five bucks. No, it's like, no, he's saying, I'm, he's going to give us eternal relief forever. Relief that is like satisfying and rewarding relief that lasts for eternity. And then he says, on top of that, as if there's something that would be better than that. He says, and in addition to that, when, when Jesus comes, not only are you going to get relief and wrongs are going to be made right, but man, you're going to see him in all of his beauty. And he says he's coming in order to be marveled at. Like, you can't say that about any one of us here this morning, right? You did not come to church 
to marvel at Chris's bald, balding head, right? There is no beauty here to marvel at, right? But Jesus is, it's hard for us to comprehend because we have, we have so much beauty that God has already given us that it's hard for our minds to think beyond some of the most magnificent things we've ever seen in our lives, especially now that we have phones and we can see things from all over the world. Right? There's beautiful things out there for us to see. It's hard to imagine something so amazing and so beautiful that when it comes, we're gonna just, we're gonna, it's going to be like a marveling like no other marveling. Right? We're going to be in such awe of the beauty of Christ that it's hard to even comprehend such things. So Paul is telling them, giving them this hope. But now, in verse 11, he's going to switch off and go, but we're living in the now. And in the now, we need to be in prayerful dependence upon God. Because in the now, there isn't, there isn't this eternal relief right now. There is difficulties and trials and tribulations and struggles that are going on right now. And therefore, we need to have lives of prayerful dependence on God all the time. And this brings us to verse 11 in our prayer. Paul is praying, and actually, we're going to start at the end. Because the aim of this prayer that Paul's going to give us the goal of it is simply this, that, that the name of the Lord Jesus would be glorified. That's the aim of this prayer, that, that the name of Jesus would be glorified. That means when we say, in the Bible anyway, when they say that the name of something would be glorified or be known, when you refer to the name in the Bible, a name actually represented something about the person. So it wasn't just simply, you know, Chris. You know, it was like, it meant something. There's a reason for this name. And so this name represented all of who Jesus is. And is all of who he is is also represented at everything he does to back up who he is, which is also the, the way we understand when it says that we want to see the glory of God, meaning we want to see all that God is. We want to see the glory of Jesus. We want to see all of who he is. And we see all of that through what he has done as well. And so by saying that the aim of this prayer and the aim of our lives is to glorify the name of Jesus, that his name would be seen and known for as magnificent and beautiful as it is, that's, that's the aim of our lives. That's why we pray. Because number one, you can't do this. <laughs> you don't have it in you. You don't. I don't. We come to the end of our resources at some point, and we don't have it. How do you face difficulties and trials and go, oh, I feel sufficient for that, right? There's, a, there's an end to our resources, right? And God is endless resources, and God is saying that, that he is going to do this in us. I love how he says this, too, in two ways. He says, the name of the Lord Jesus is going to be glorified in you. Jesus isn't just going to wave the wand and make it happen and all of a sudden his name is great. The way in which Jesus' name is glorified, that is seen as magnificent as he really is, is in your life, in who you are and who he's created you to be in Christ. Like it's through you that he is glorified. This is what Paul's saying. But then, but then a twist of all twists because we don't usually talk this way, our glory, he says, is also in him. Wait a minute, that sounds weird. We don't ever talk about glorifying ourselves, right? I hope you don't. <laughs> but uh, we might call you weird or arrogant or something. But, but he says it. 
Look at what he says. He says, the name of the Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him. You will be glorified in him. Your glory will be, will be magnified, will be seen for all that God created you to be. As a child of God, in the image of God, your glory is, is fully realized in Christ Jesus. So it's not just that we glorify him in our lives, or that, that, that he's seen as beautiful as he really is, but our people will see us as beautiful as God created us to be. Our glory is also seen as we are in Christ, dependent upon him. If that doesn't make sense, you can ask me later. But God is glorified in us. Let me just, I want to give a, a the, the last question that we're going to ask in this message is simply this. How is God, how is Jesus being made much of in your life? That's the final question we're not going to look at yet. But just so you know where we're going, like, how is Jesus being made much of in your life? It's, it's simpler than you think. It's not always through the magnificent things. It's through the simple things. I'm going to give you an example that is probably one that's very painful to me. But here's an example of how I think sometimes we are unaware sometimes of how little things in our lives matter. Uh, a week ago, in fact, right in the exact same time that the fire was happening here, we were doing a line of duty death memorial service in Squim, Washington, for a 46-year-old firefighter who died at a, at a fire. And, and in that... In that service, like if you've never been to such a service, it's like it is the service, just the service part is incredible. It, it's, it's incredible. Like there's so many things. There's so much ceremony, so much specificity. And, uh, and so I'm like supposed to be there shadowing the person that coordinates this for the state. So I feel like the FBI. I've got like an earpiece in with that little thing that goes down in my back, you know, and I got people talking in my ear and we're coordinating this and we're coordinating that. Everything has to go according to plan because there's a reason behind it. It matters. Every little piece has a, has a meaning and a purpose, and it's all intended to honor the sacrifice and the service of this, of this man and, and his family, and it, it's really something. It's, it's quite a deal. And, and so in the middle of this, though, uh, we sit down with all of the speakers, and we say to them, hey, uh, there's, a, there's probably a dozen people that are going to get up and do some kind of presentation, some kind of talk, and so that's a lot, right? So we got a two-hour service. We got to fit all this in. So we sat down with them, and one of the pats, there's two pats that coordinate this. It says, uh, uh, you got five to eight minutes. Everybody needs to figure out how to say what they need to say in five to eight minutes, right? That's what you got. And so uh, we get into the service, and, uh, and everybody's kind of things are going as planned somewhat, uh, and we're coordinating the bagpipers and the buglers and all this stuff and how you take the casket off the caisson uh, old engine. And it's just everything has a meaning and a purpose behind it. And we're presenting the flags. We're doing all the things that are, uh, that are, that are all laid out in this kind of a death. And, um, and then there was two pastors that were supposed to get up and speak in the middle of this. And the first one gets up to speak. And he spoke for 30 minutes. Yeah, that's exactly it right there. Exactly it. The second one gets up and he spoke for 20. And I'm just going to tell you, they didn't say bad things. They shared the actual gospel. 
but no one heard it. In my ear, it was blowing up the whole time. Like, who lets two, two pastors speak at something like this? What are they doing? Why are they doing this? We've got bagpipers that are waiting to come in. Everything's being coordinated. And these guys have the audacity to make those bagpipers hold their stuff for another 50 minutes. Because it's supposed to be five to eight. And I say that just to go, we sometimes think, because we have this beautiful message, Right? We don't always, we're not always aware of the context of what we're in and the opportunity that God has given us. And we think that because we said the right things that we were faithful. But it's not just what we say. It's understanding the moment. And frankly, if you can't share the gospel in five to eight minutes, you shouldn't be sharing it every Sunday with people, right? And so frankly, I was, in my, I was so grieved in my heart because I heard the chatter in my ear of all these coordinators, all these people who were just mocking this whole thing. And so we made Jesus that day look really bad in front of 950 people. And the audiences felt just like what you were feeling. They were edgy. They've been sitting there for two hours. Right? See, it's little things. It's little things. Like this is a beautiful moment in which the ceremony actually calls for the gospel to be talked about. Can you believe that? In the state of Washington, the protocol for how all this goes is that a chaplain or somebody gets up and they get to talk. Like that's an amazing, mind-blowing thing. And yet, and yet in this moment, we failed, right? Because we disrespected the whole process and therefore we made, didn't make Jesus look good at all. No one heard, and it was a mockery. And I was literally just, at one point, I felt like I was just crying inside, of, just, just inside, just thinking, just please stop talking. Because Jesus needs to be first and foremost in this moment, right? See, it's little things that we need to be aware. And this is, that's an that's a instance, in one instance, but what about our days? What about the things that God puts in our lives? Do we understand the context God calls us to be discerning about our surroundings, to understand, to pay attention, to, to re, be respectful, to, to understand before we just launch into what we think is right, to actually discern the timing and the person and the people and the situations and what's happening around us, right? These things matter because we want Jesus to look attractive. We're not making Jesus attractive, no, he already is attractive, and we just want people to see him for who he already is. And we don't want to be the ones that mar that. We want to pay attention. And so when we say that the name of the Lord Jesus is glorified in us, that's a big deal, right? And it doesn't mean that now we have to go and make sure we're dotting the I's and crossing the T's. That's not what this means. No, no, no. No, it just means we have to care, Right? We have, we have to embrace the fact that the fruit of the Spirit is in us and live that. And so, and so Paul in, is praying this prayer, which is a call to action. It's a call to how we're living our lives. Notice how this prayer goes. He, 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 here's how uh, Paul is praying. He says, first of all, that God, after he says, uh, to this end, we always pray, that our God may make you worthy of his calling. And we've seen this in all of Paul's prayers so far, that our God would make us worthy of this calling 
That's like been a theme of Paul's. It's said over and over again. And so, so what that really means, he's talking there about the big word is sanctification, but it simply means he wants us to be growing in our faith. He wants us to grow in maturity in our faith. You have been called by the Spirit of God to come to believe in Christ, right? This, that's the calling that he's talking about. He's not talking about a, a ministry vocational type of calling. That's really actually not much of that in the Bible at all. But he's talking about the effectual, faithful wooing of the Spirit of God to draw you to Jesus is why you're believing in the first place. And so he's saying you have been called, you have been given the Spirit, you have been declared in Christ to be righteous and holy before God. And now he's saying, now the whole process the rest of your life is that God is now making you in reality in the day-to-day life. He's making you what you've already been declared in Christ to be. You are holy, and now he is growing you in your character that you would be, in fact, holy more and more and more you would be like Jesus. Right? Does that make sense? So he's praying that this is a gift of God, that God is the one who is making us holy. He is the one who's drawing us to be, to be holy, to be uh, worthy of the calling that God has called us with. And I think this is a, someone in fact said, if being a Christian makes us a worse, this is not proper grammar, makes us a worse human being, then something's wrong. Because to be a Christian means to be filled with the Spirit, and the Bible says that the Spirit brings with it this fruit, which is called love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And so to be filled with the Spirit, to be a Christian, should be transforming us to be a better human being, right? That makes sense? So if, if you, as a part of being a Christian, are becoming a worse human being, then there's something desperately wrong. You should be desperately or deeply concerned. If you are less kind and less considerate and less patient and less compassionate as a result of knowing Jesus, then something is messed up. It's time to get on your knees and to repent. If you are more fearful, more judgmental, more unloving, more cynical, being a Christian over the course of time, something is really messed up. Because as a result of knowing this Jesus, who is so magnificent and so gracious and so loving and so beautiful that he's worthy of us marveling at him when he comes, should be making us into the most incredibly compassionate and loving and gracious and amazing people on the planet. We should be the ones who are, oh, that's right, the Bible does say we're supposed to be the light of the world, right? There's something about us that should be so distinct, and it's not all of our stances, it's our love. I, I, I'm blown away, I was thinking this very simple passage that we don't really visit much is 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. You know the one I'm talking about, right? We used to do it at weddings all the time, right? It's really not for weddings, but it's okay to speak it there, but but where Paul just basically gives all these things, he says that you can, be the, you can have all the knowledge in the world, you can be the most amazing person in the world, but if you don't have love, you've got nothing. And in fact, he says you are nothing. That's, that's pretty significant. Um, and so Paul is calling us uh, to be, uh, that we would be made worthy. I'm going to run out of time too, so. 
Secondly, Paul is saying that we would fulfill every resolve for good by his power and according to his grace. That, that he's praying that, that, that God would fulfill every resolve for good by God's power and according to God's grace. Um, this is actually incredible. And you just think about the reason why this church exists in the first place. Paul had a different vision than going to Asia Minor and ending up in Philippi and Thessalonica. Paul's vision was to go reach all of Asia proper. And God said, no. Well, that's not a bad, that's not a bad vision, right? I'm going I'm to go all these towns, God. And God says, no, don't go there. So Paul has to walk all across Asia through all of these cities that he doesn't get to talk about the gospel in, by the way. Doesn't happen because God said no. And so he had a good desire, right? But, but God says, no, I want you to go to Macedonia. They're actually ready for the gospel. So he walks through all of these cities. If you look on a map, he went a long ways. Through all of these towns and cities that he did not share the gospel in because God told him not to. And he lands in Philippi and lands in jail and the church is birthed. And then, then he goes to Thessalonica. This church exists because God fulfilled his resolve for doing good. Paul had a good passion, a good desire. But his desire was, it was God who actually showed him the actual direction and the place of that, right? He had plans with that. The desire was good. But God's the one who actually directed his steps to where he needed to go. And this is why this church even exists in the first place. And so Paul is saying to us to pray that God, in his power, by his grace, would fulfill every resolve that we have for good. For all kinds of good, not just church planting. All kinds of good, everyday kind of good, regular kind of good, all kinds of good. The, the Bible actually, in 17 times in the New Testament, the, the Bible, it specifically says that we are to be doing good works as Christians. There should be good things coming out of us. In the name of Jesus, as a Christian, we should be doing good to everyone in the name of Jesus. In fact, he says in Ephesians, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. In Titus 2.7, he says we are to have a pattern of life that is good, marked by good works. Titus 2.14, we're supposed to be zealous for good works. Titus 3.8, we're supposed to be ready for every good work and to be careful to maintain a life of good works. In James, it says that if we don't, that our, our conduct is supposed to, supposed to be seen by the works that are done in the meekness of wisdom. In Revelation, in fact, it says that the, the very garments in the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19, the, at the end of time when we set her in this beautiful banquet, he says that the garments that we wear are going to be the righteous deeds of the saints. That's going to be what we're adorned with. Right? And that's what adorns your life now. And that's what makes much of Jesus. To pray that God will fulfill every resolve that you have to do good in every single aspect of your life. And then he goes on to further, he says, he says to fulfill every, every good work of faith. There's a passage that I felt was kind of haunting for years. In Romans 14, 23, it says, Whatever is, done, is not done according to faith is sin. Go about that tomorrow in your life. Everything not done according to faith is sin. What does that mean? That you're in trouble? No. It just means that we need to see that our whole life is to be lived by faith. Every single thing. Our work, we're supposed to work our job by faith. We're supposed to have leisure time by faith. Our sports by faith. 
are napping this afternoon by faith. The food and drink by faith. Hobbies that you enjoy, do it by faith. God is at work in all of those things. None of these things are bad. But they are bad if we divorce them from the reality that we are children of God and we're to, we're to glorify God in all aspects of our life. Everything. Our, our parenting, our marriage, our social media habits. All of it. We do it by trusting Jesus by faith. By giving him glory in every single thing. In fact, we could sum this up as one person said, how does God fulfill all of these things, these three things? By his grace, through our trusting in his power for his glory. This is how it happens. By, by his grace, it's a free gift. He's the one working this in us. As we trust in his power to do it, which is for ultimately his glory. Does our lives, here's the question for your table groups, if you're wondering if I was going to give you questions. I always forget. One question you could talk about in your table groups this week. How is our lives making much of Jesus? And what are things in our lives that are not making much of Jesus? How are we living every aspect of our life by faith? And how are we not sometimes, right? This, we're all in process here. How is Jesus being glorified in everything for us? And I think, I think you'll find in the Bible, we look at really extraordinary moments in time, and we think, man, this is extraordinary moments that we see God work. But the Bible is actually, if you look at all the extraordinary miracles in the Bible, there are hundreds of years between them. If you literally read the Old Testament, and you see these incredible things that God's doing. Why doesn't God do those things anymore? Because God mostly works through the simple, everyday stuff of life. Coming into the house and giving your wife a hug. Smiling at the person checking you out at the gas station the grocery store. Being there for a neighbor who just needed to talk. Right? Simple stuff. That's how God is being glorified. And he's changing the world through those kinds of things. And every once in a while... There's something crazy off the wall that happens. Crazy stuff. Like last night, I was sitting at this house with this family after this funeral, and we're at their house with a group of his friends. It's a 22-year-old and, that passed, and a group of his friends. And we're lit, watching videos that he recorded of himself playing guitar and singing. He's a phenomenal musician. He was an incredible singer. And he's playing all these songs, and we get halfway through this video, and all of a sudden I hear a, how great is our God, sing with me. I'm like, and then comes the song Cannons. Have you ever heard that song? And it, four songs, just magnifying the beauty of Jesus. And I'm looking around the room, everybody's just deathly silent. And I'm just thinking, man, the little things, right? We had no idea how God was going to show up. But he does. He does. So let us... Let us depend upon God. Let us pray for God to fulfill, to make us worthy of his calling, to fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith that he would be made much of through his church. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your incredible grace. Thank you for your amazing love towards us that we just can't even comprehend. We can't fully understand, and yet we, we see it, we experience it, the reality, we experience it in each other. 
we see how you're working in our lives, how you are continually making us worthy of the calling that you have called us with. And God, we just pray for our community that because of your spirit at work in us, that we would, we would impact the people around us, that they would see our joy, they would see our compassion and our care and our concern, that they would see our patience and our gentleness and the respect that we have for each of them, and that it would, it would radically transform all things, everything around us, Lord. And so, Lord, um, do this work in us, Lord. We know that we cannot do this, but you can in us. This is what Paul prays. Make it so, God, we pray that the name of the Lord Jesus would be glorified in us, in us, in him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.